All right. When Stephen went with me, I don't know if that was his first time door knocking, but, um, you know, being that it's corona season, um, I've learned a few things going door knocking, and one of them is wear gloves. If it's cold out, put some mittens on. One of the things that mittens allows you to do is you don't know what people inside their houses are doing right before they come out. So um, had some gloves on, and, and I told Stephen, the first thing you learn tonight is wear gloves when you go door knocking. And he learned because we were praying, and he just kind of got weird in one moment. And I'm like, you got to wear the gloves, bro. You'll be straight. There was one, one other guy I just want to share to encourage and testify. We were at the trailer court this time, and uh, you're knocking on the doors. And what I've learned with the trailer court at nighttime is um, you provide more space between the door and yourself. Um, it's just what I've learned. So you knock, give them plenty of space, let them come to you rather than you just standing there. And knocked on the door, backed up, and a guy says, what do you want? All right, Steven, you're bigger than me, bro. Younger. This one's on you. What do you want? Comes to the door. Short little stocky guy. Bald head. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. And um, we gave him, you know, what we were, talked to him about what we were um, doing. And he said, I don't need the food. Give it to someone else. I said, it's not that we have, like, a limited number, per se. You can have it. We'll make it, even if it's me buying you food. I don't want it to give it to someone else. Well, you're not understanding. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is, you can have food if you want it, even if you don't want to make it. He said, nope. So then we asked, and we got to the point, can we pray for you? And um, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes, yes, yes. And then he just confessed, um, I'm an alcoholic, I was adopted, um, tears started to come down this rough guy. He said, I've been an alcoholic since I was 13. I've been drinking since I was 13, and the tears started to come down his face, and he said, I don't know what to do. And I, I said, you know what scripture says is, when you're born again, you become a new creation. The only way to defeat this is to be born again. Well, I was born again. I don't know what else to do. I said, well, if you were truly born again, then it's time to repent of your sins. We were able to pray a prayer of repentance with him, of turning back to Jesus as tears continued to come down his face. And he came out and he, he had wet hands and he said, I just got done washing my pooch, washing my dog and uh, wet hands and came out and tears down his face and rough and yelling. He said, sorry, I was yelling, but you know, you just never know who's coming around my house. And uh, we prayed with him, and the tears just flowed. He said he wants to come out and help us deliver on Wednesday. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to give him a call, see if he's going to come out. Praise God. Now, you know what I think is really fun is this, is there was nothing special about what Stephen or I, Stephen or I did. It was simply just us being available that night. That's all it was, to represent and to endorse Jesus. And today, um, our sermon title, I guess, can be, what, is your life, what does your life endorse? 
Right now, that's the question. What does your life endorse? Stephen and I, and Alan and Krista, and Ayla, Randy and Jordan and crew, Robin, Nicole, Ryan, Hope. Um, who else went with us throughout the week? Um, oh, no. Sorry. Either way, we, we, we were endorsing Christ at people's doors. And it was really simple. Um, Ryan and I and Hope walked up, you know, like when you drive back some long lanes with um, single houses, just or not single, but um, single-story houses, a ranch. So we pull up to this ranch house, and we were searching for it, and we had to pull through someone else's driveway to try to find where this house was, and we ended up finding it, and we get up to the house. And I promise you, I've never smoked, um, done drugs, but after, like, that first house, I think I was high by how much marijuana came out of it. Just immediately, marijuana um, comes out. A guy's really juiced, and we were able to talk to him, and he needs some help with his kids. But Ryan was willing to endorse Jesus. That's it. Endorsement, endorsement, endorsement. Nevertheless, I would say every moment that we are living in this very moment, and when we leave here today, our lives are endorsing something. Every moment we are. The clothes that you wear, Ohio State, Harley-Davidson, Berg, the school up north, whatever it is, your life is endorsing something. The sign that you put in your yard, how you spend your time, what comes out of your mouth, what music you listen to, who you associate with, what goes on your Facebook, and what you give your money to. You're endorsing something in this very moment. Do you think about that? Do you ever think about that your life endorses something? I'm going to stop and pray for the sermon. I got so excited about endorsement. Let's pray. Father, move us today, shake us today, sift us today, sharpen us, grow us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Help us endorse you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we really, really, really get started, would a stranger who had access to your clothes, your yard signs, your calendar, your bank account, and your Facebook know that you endorse Jesus? If I simply just got on your Facebook, would I know that you endorse Jesus? Kind of gets a little real, doesn't it? How about this? Based upon your Facebook alone, do people know that you endorse Jesus the most? Just not a little bit. The most. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where your relationship with Jesus is supposed to be private. Yet, I see a growing church culture in the expanded church 
where you hear things where, well, that's between me and God. Or God and I have a private thing going on. I don't see that in the Bible. It actually contradicts what Scripture says. See, what I see is, or what I can see is this, is a relationship with Jesus can be personal and it can be intimate, but a relationship with Jesus is never private, should never be private. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That's talking about us. So when people say, my relationship with God is private, what they're doing is they're lighting their lamp and then they're putting a box over it. And they're saying, I'm too ashamed to endorse Jesus to the world. You don't hide that you are married. You don't hide that you are a parent. But you hide that you are a Christian when Jesus tells us to love him far above everything else. And if you hide that you're married, or if you hide that you're a parent, there's something wrong with you, right? Just plain and simple, there's something wrong with you. So today we're going to wrap up John chapter 1. There are four men who have endorsements for Jesus. And as we wrap up, or as we wrapped up James, what we are also encouraging you really to do is to what? Endorse Jesus. Endorse him in your life. Endorse him in your actions. Endorse him in your being. And today there's four examples of transformed people who endorse him. And I hope today by the end you're willing to endorse Jesus even more. So John chapter 1. Verse 29, it'll be on the screen for you. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent, um, sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now before we get to these verses, I want to say this. Some people thought, because John was special, they thought that he might be the Messiah. John had a following. He had his own disciples. He preached a strong message and he also baptized Yet in spite of his importance, he was willing to pass people towards Jesus. 
He was willing to sacrifice his influence so that Jesus could have greater influence. Do you see that here? A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John takes everything that he's given his life to. The influence, the position, maybe some power, people who liked and disliked him. And he said, you, you can have my influence and what I'm doing is I'm endorsing Jesus and I'm giving it to him. He was willing to sacrifice his influence so that Jesus could have a greater influence. That could be hard for people. I see it a lot in the church world, actually. Um, leaders, you know, you talk about Mechanics for Christian Fellowship and other churches, and, you know, you talk to a lot of church leaders often. And um, they're fine to talk about Ohio State sports. They're fine to talk about golf. They're fine to talk about... Um, how frustrated they are about church life. And then you talk about unity and partnership. They even talk about that. And then you say, well, let's make that rubber hit the road. Let's walk in unity and let's walk in partnership. And then they quit returning texts and they quit returning phone calls. And they don't want to meet at Starbucks or simple comforts, or anything anymore. They will talk about unity, partnership, being one body, and then you ask them to partner, and they ignore you. Why? Because they don't want to give up their influence and their resources that they have. Isn't that interesting? See, they're unwilling and churches are unwilling to say you can have everything so that Jesus can be greater. What they want to protect is the three B's that I've mentioned before. The bricks on the building, the butts in the seat, and the bucks in the offering. This isn't my church. This church was here long before me and it'll be here long after. Because um, scripture actually says nothing will ever overcome Christ's church. The enemy can't do that. The enemy won't do that. See, it's hard for people to pass their influence on to someone else. John talked about the Messiah to come, and when the Messiah came, he gave up his authority. When the rubber hits the road... His words and his actions aligned. Isn't that fun? That's what we want to be people of. Our hearts and our words align with our action. I don't want to just talk it. I don't want to just know it. I want to do it. And that's what John did here. His endorsement for Jesus was so strong, he was willing to say, everything that I've given my life to now I want to point you to Christ. Don't just listen to my message anymore. Don't just follow me anymore. Go to Christ. John endorses Jesus by letting go of his personal authority. 
and we should do that too. That's your first note if you're taking it. We should too. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So in this moment, John is endorsing Jesus. He wasn't trying to keep his influence by um, trying to increase. He wasn't trying to keep his influence because he was passing it to Jesus. Far too often in the church, we try to hold on to people, traditions, and money. We as humans tend to want to make a name for ourselves by attaching ourselves with bigger things. You guys ever recognize that about yourself? You sit around a dinner table and then you just start name dropping. Well, this one time, I was at this one meeting where this one pastor was there and he looked at me and he waved. Or my buddy actually knows Jim Tressel. Or my friend plays on the Ohio State football team. We try to attach ourselves to something bigger so that we can increase our significance. Anyone ever done that other than me? <laughs> My cousin is, um, she's an actress, right? She's in some movies. And I can brag about that and I can leave it there. My cousin is an actress. And then I watched some of the movies. And I said, God bless you. You're an actress. I couldn't use that anymore. Because then people go and watch the movies and they're like, yeah, whatever, bro. John is endorsing Jesus. He saw Jesus passing and said, look, the Lamb of God. One of the best things we can learn to do is to let go. John was letting go of his authority and passing it to Jesus, and we have to learn to do that. As John endorses Jesus, he's also letting go and not trying to attach himself to Jesus for a greater impact. How many... Christian musicians have come out and said, we don't even believe in Jesus. How many people that we listen to on certain radio stations say that they're Christians, but then come out years later and say, I didn't believe. What they're really saying is my voice wasn't good enough for the secular world, so I went to the Christian world so that I could make money. The artists that I've been able to meet over the past several years Maybe that's me attaching myself to something bigger. Maybe it's not. Who knows? But the artists that I've been able to meet and the things that come out of their mouth say Christian radio um, isn't that fun anymore. Because you hear the cussing, you hear the stories, you, you hear the impurities, and then you hear them on certain radio stations praising God, and you're like, who are you? Now, it doesn't mean that they should be perfect because they can't be, but the openness by which they lived was really disappointing. 
So I've seen people attach themselves to the Christian world for a greater impact, and John wasn't willing to do that. He just freely pushed people to Jesus. And what I wonder is this, is what is God asking us to surrender so that he can be greater? What is God asking you today to surrender, to let go of, so that he can be greater? Next point is this, is Andrew endorses Jesus by bringing his brother to meet him. So when I think, when I think about the Christian life, when I think about what it means, I, ha- I have a person, a family member in my life that um, we talked about accountability recently. And here's, what I, uh, here's my first conversation that I'm going to ask them. What does being a Christian mean to you? And I ask you to ask that question to yourself today as well. What does being a Christian mean to you? Because Andrew here, well, first, John. John, when he um, met the Messiah, right, he endorsed him. He said, that is him. Now, Andrew, what does he do? He brings his brother to meet him. So there's something about Christianity. There's something about when we meet the true king that doesn't make it private anymore. Andrew was willing to endorse Jesus immediately to his family. And many within the church who are saved, who are born again, have never brought up Jesus to a family member. Verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Then they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, that's actually really interesting. Where are you staying? So there's an interest. There's an interest there. Now, within our culture, we would probably ask the same thing. Rob's planning an outreach event, or Stu's planning an outreach event, or Mark Snyder's planning an outreach event, or Joey's planning an outreach event, and they say, hey, we're going to go out, and we're going to serve and reach out to the community today. What's the first thing we're going to say? Well, where are you going? And then what's the next thing we're going to ask? How long are you going to be there? See, there's something about Jesus that when we follow him, most of it's just unknown. Because if we knew what was coming next, we would mess it up. Or we just wouldn't do it. We just wouldn't. So where are you staying, they ask. Oh, surely Jesus in his perfection knows that they need to know everything, right? So because... He knows that they need to know everything. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to tell them where he's going and how long he's going to be there and what time they get to be home. No, this is is what he said. Come and you will see. 
Come and you will see. Stephen and I and the other people who just went out, we just went and saw. We tried to find Jesus that night. Come and see. We are so caught up within our culture and our opinions and the things that we want or the way that we think life should go that we have to have everything so calendar out, calendared out or planned out that we never make room for Jesus. And several years ago, when Macy and I were praying, God said, simplify your life so that you can be available more often. If you want to be available for Christ, simplify your life. That's it. I love that verse. Where are you staying? Just come and see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So they went. I'm going to do that some Sunday. I think I'm going to do that some Sunday. We're going to come in here and I'm going to say, we're going to go reach out to Mechanicsburg. What time are we going to be done? Come and see. Come and see. Now look, that seems really passive, doesn't it? It seems maybe even slightly aggressive. Oh, passive aggressive. I'm not being passive aggressive. That's the church. You know, we, we think of the spont- spontaneity of Christ and the spirit moving only within these four walls. We think of church, our mind is so stuck on what church has always been that when we think of church on Sunday morning, we think of four walls, we think of four songs, we think of 45, 50-minute sermon, and then maybe the spirit moving in worship sometimes. We have limited the spirits moving to actually just an extra long worship set. Right? And then maybe an altar call at the end. That's how narrow-minded the church has become is that a good Sunday morning and the spirit moving is only when we have an extra three songs or five songs and we just cry. And then we leave and we realize we can't go out to eat anywhere or the food or the kids frustrate us and then everything that had happened that morning we forget about. Church, if we want a spirit-led church, there might be a Sunday morning that I say, we're not having worship, We will pray, and then we're going to the streets. Come and see. How many of you guys would go? Now, how about this? How many, better question, how many of you guys, if I said that this morning, would just be conflicted? Look, honesty is okay. How many of you would be conflicted with whether you would go or not? Raise your hand. Thank you for your honesty. You guys can stay here. The rest of us are leaving. (laughs) Someone else is going to preach. You get my point, right? Come and see. There's an excitement in getting to know who God is when we come and see, and our agenda isn't limited to how we see the Spirit moving. I'm done there. I've. That, That horse is 10 feet in the ground. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 
was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. They looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will um, be called Cephas, which was then translated Peter. So they asked Jesus where he was staying, and they were interested in to getting to know him more. And he said, come and see. And that's where most of us lose Christ. Right there. When he says, come and see, he was very vague. I got to be home at this time. I got to be home at that time. Let me check my schedule. And here's what I want to say. When the Messiah shows up, you stop what you're doing and you follow him. Period. Amen. That's what I believe is a mark of you being a Christian. That's a characteristic that as Christians we must possess. If we say we're following the Messiah and we're a Christian and our lives are surrendered to him, we don't hide our light in a box. We identify or endorse Jesus and give him our authority so it's all about him. And then we also um, stop what we are doing when he's on the move and do what he says. Amen? You guys are super excited, aren't you? I want to be challenged that way. I didn't want to be out there knocking on people's doors. I don't. Do you think I enjoy it? The only reason I enjoy it is because I get to see God working. You don't know what's coming out of those doors. And then you get rejected. We got rejected several times and it doesn't even feel good. And here's the thing. We knocked on one trailer. They didn't come out. So then we go to the next. We knock on this trailer and the guy says, I'm Catholic, don't want to hear it. I'm going to stop you right there. Can we pray for you? I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to ask you to leave. Okay, God bless you. Then the trailer that we just knocked on, the person came out. So then we go back to that trailer, right? And we talk to them, we pray with them for 15 minutes. I've forgotten where we're at. So guess what I do? I go back to the same trailer. Bop, 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 bop. Comes to the door. Can I help you? Sorry. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs> it's not always fun. It hurts. But a person who's following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus, this isn't about me today. Don't hear superhero Joey. Don't hear superhero Stephen. It sucked and it hurt and it wasn't fun. But I want to try my hardest to try to follow Jesus. So um, the rejection came. The first thing that Andrew did was find his brother and tell him that they found Jesus. Excitement. 
excitement, not fake, but genuine love for the Messiah. Now, the word here in the original language is hurisco. Um, I decided I didn't want to stir the dogs up, so I didn't get the dog rating. But hurisco, which is, um, the term means to, after search, to find the thing that was sought. A deep longing in searching to find something. So Andrew and friends were deeply searching after the Messiah. A deep hunger. And we could preach on that for the rest of service. What does your life deeply search after? You can tell by what you do. You can tell by where you put your money. You can tell by who you give your money. You can tell by your attitude while you're at church. And sometimes you just need to repent or confess, and then that all changes. But they found what they were deeply searching for. And the big K church say that they're seeking Jesus when in reality, sometimes they're not. The same kind of searching that's going on here, the same word was used in Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, so after he's been searching for it, longing for it, trying to find it, doing whatever it takes, after he found it, he hid it again, and then his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. It's also the same, same original language as Matthew 18, verse 13. Many of you are familiar with this one. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than the 99 that he did not want, that did not wander off. So the, the found that Andrew is talking about is the same found and the same urgency being used here is when the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. There was an urgency to find what they were looking for and when they found it, they were rejoicing. Andrew found what he was searching for, the Messiah. He found what he was searching for. Let's take a moment to hear and reflect. I want you to ask yourself these questions this week, in this moment. What are you searching for in your life? What are you searching for today? What did you search for last week? Let's just close our eyes. What are you searching for in your life? What does your life reveal that you're searching for? Father, may these words bring peace and encouragement 
maybe even a rebuke today, Father, but may edification come from them. May our paths be straight and narrow. All right, you can open your eyes back up. But when we ask that question, what is my life searching for? When I ask myself that question, guess what? I don't always answer it the right way. Sometimes I say, my, my life is searching for personal fulfillment. My life is searching for everything to be easy. My, my life is searching for comfort and happiness, the American dream. And when I come to those conclusions, guess what I do? I say, God, do whatever it takes in my life to get rid of those. Do whatever it takes in my life to get rid of those things. Whatever it is, sift me. Get rid of them. Because I don't want to live that way. You are more important than everything in this world, and I trust you. So I'm okay with being confronted with um, my life not being perfect. Because I know that he who began a good work in me will complete that work. So the moment after Andrew found Jesus, he immediately endorsed him and brought his brother to him because he found what he was searching for. I believe as Christians, if our hearts are really searching after God, we will also bring others to him. Did you hear that? I believe as Christians, if our hearts are really searching after God, we will also bring others to him. How many people have you brought to see Jesus out of an overflow in your life? An excitement. I remember showing pigs and knowing that we had a champion in the barn. So you bring your buddies and your friends down and you were just, look at how good this pig is. Look at it. And then we had Bud White's food, too, from Ace. And you take that pig and put it with Bud White's food, and you were guaranteed that championship. There was joy. There was happiness. Look at this pig. And see, that's what's funny, is we get so excited over earthly things more than we get excited about the king. So what was I excited to find? I was excited to find a championship that was all about me rather than to find a savior that can save all of us. So how many people have you brought to see Jesus out of an overflow in your life? Like, my God is so good, you gotta meet him. Is your God that good? You know what, I'll make fun of my mom for a moment. I try to get her to um, not do this, but whenever we, whenever we go somewhere, whenever I see her at work or whatever and she sees me, she's like, hey, stay here for a minute. I'm like, no, not doing it. <laughs> not gonna do it, woman. I gotta go. No, stay here a minute. I want you to meet someone. I don't wanna meet them. See, there's this joy there's this peace that she wants her friends, her coworkers to meet me. And you know what I say? Imagine taking that same kind of excitement and wanting people to meet Jesus more than you want them to meet me. Right? 
more than you want people to meet your kids or your spouse or your siblings want people to meet Jesus. Let's not have it be an obligatory um, reaction. Too many people feel so obligated as Christians. How many of you guys have ever felt obligated? There's moments even now that I feel obligated. Anyone else? Participating church. There's that obligation. And when there's that obligation, living into those obligations is not a bad thing because I'd rather you live into the obligation than to sin, right? But I'm not, I don't feel obligated to serve my wife. I don't. Through the thick and through the thin, I don't feel obligated. And Christ tells me very explicitly, love God more than you love your spouse. So why do I feel obligated to serve God? Those are questions I ask myself. See, the disciples were searching for the Messiah, so there was an excitement when they found him. Maybe we are not bringing people to Jesus because we're not as excited about him as our hearts have led us on. So, um, let's move on. Verse 43. Philip endorses Jesus as a friend, or sorry, to a friend. So we have a family member, we have giving up authority, and now we have Philip who endorses to a friend. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, um, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We're going to move on. Next point, Jesus in Sorry, Nathaniel endorses Jesus as the Son of God after he encounters him. And guess what? We should too. Verse 46. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Now I thought about Bob and I thinking about one another. What's liberty? Can anything good come from there? And Bob's like, Bob even said it. Mechanicsburg? A church? Can anything good come from Mechanicsburg? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then said, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascend and descend on the son of man. An encounter with Jesus, the living God. See, Nathaniel didn't seem to be interested at first, did he? 
Does anything good come from Nazareth? Just not interested. But when he encountered the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of who God is, the power of God, things changed really quickly. When he encountered Jesus, everything changed for him. Is your being really endorsing Jesus as the Son of God? Because that's what Nathaniel did. He met him and then he endorsed him. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So as we wrap up today, I ask you the same question. What does your life endorse? Jesus and, uh, sorry, John endorses Jesus by letting go of his personal authority. Andrew endorses Jesus by bringing his brother to meet Jesus. Philip endorses Jesus to a friend. Nathaniel endorses Jesus as the son of God after he encounters him. And now I wonder how you might endorse Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to give every single one of you the opportunity to endorse Jesus in this moment. It's not going to be by standing up. It's not going to be by raising your hands. It's going to be by you saying something. Getting weird, right? See, you were all in about endorsing Jesus if I just said stand up. But then when I say you have to publicly put your words to your endorsement to Jesus. It gets a little weird, doesn't it? 30 seconds is all you got. I will stop you. Or I'll have Daniel, even though he's sitting in the back, mute you somehow. I want to give you the opportunity to stand up and stand with Jesus. You can simply say, I endorse Jesus or Jesus as my king. And I'll start. I am only here because Jesus is my king. I'm nothing and he is everything. I endorse Jesus with everything in my life. Now you guys have the opportunity to do that. Jesus is my Lord.
belong to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to say, too, is this, is this is a big step for some people today. Don't be afraid of that big step. I believe Jesus Christ came to this earth to save us. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah.
longer it goes, the more your heart beats, doesn't it? I never comprehended reading growing up because I would know what paragraph I had to read, so I was practicing, it, practicing that paragraph the whole time. So I can understand the, the nervousness. Endorse Jesus today. Going once. Let's stand for a final endorsement. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we just pause here. Help us endorse you as we see family this week, as we um, see Mechanicsburg and those who are in need this week. Help us endorse you on our Facebooks, at work. Chisel us. We love you. Father, we, we join the angels in spiritual warfare for this world. And we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.